Hello, and welcome to Linux Action News, episode 225, recorded on January 26th, 2022. I'm Chris. I'm Wes. Hello, Wes. Let's do the news. We start this week with news that has ramifications for the entire industry. It seems that NVIDIA is looking to abandon its acquisition of ARM. Or at least, that's what Bloomberg reported on Tuesday. Yeah, it sounds like people that were quote-unquote familiar with the matter leaked the information to Bloomberg that internally, NVIDIA doesn't expect the deal to be finalized. Now, publicly, both NVIDIA and SoftBank spokespersons have relayed that they hold hopes that the deal is completed and that they think it would be great for the industry if the deal was completed. So as far as they are publicly commenting right now, they're still giving an air of confidence. Of course, but, you know, steel has faced a lot of scrutiny from regulators all over the world. I mean, the U.S.'s FTC, British regulators, and even regulators in China. So perhaps this news, in some sense, isn't all that surprising. Yeah, I think that is true. I think a lot of us wondered when, I know when we talked about it on this show, we were like, is this actually going to happen? And it, I suppose it still could. It seems like, though, either way, NVIDIA is going to be out some cash. Yeah, that's right. It's going to be out $2 billion that functioned as a down payment on the transaction. And then we'll also have to pay $1.25 billion USD as something of a breakup fee when it walks away from the deal. Ah, we've all been there, NVIDIA. We've all been there. It seems the High Five Unmatched, that small Risk Five board we've told you about in the past, well, it may be ending production. No! I really wanted to get my hands on one of these. The Sci-Fi Freedom U740 SoC was a sweet little setup, it seemed. I never got to try one, but you could get it with 16 gigs of RAM, micro SD, and an M.2 MVME SSE storage, uh, one PCIe 16X slot, and gigabit Ethernet on that thing. But it seems that supply chain issues have made things extremely difficult for the Sci-Fi folks, and... They have had problem after problem in the last year, and they noted, quote, with such great ecosystem adoption, demand has exceeded our already high expectations, and we're close to selling out on our production inventory. Given the challenge of supply chain issues that we overcame for the first run of these boards, issues that we continue to face, we've decided to focus on the next generation of sci-fi high-five development systems rather than trying to put together another build of the High 5 Unmatched platform in 2022. Those remarks came from Phil Dworsky, the global head of strategic alliances for Sci-5, and he finished his comments up by saying, quote, Our sincere apologies to anyone wanting a Sci-5 High 5 Unmatched board who hasn't been able to obtain one. Please stay tuned for news on the next generation systems soon. This seems pretty understandable, especially with the supply chain issues going on and smaller manufacturers sort of suffer the worst. Uh, But I do have to admit, it does raise a red flag with me when a hardware vendor comes out and says, hey, I know you were expecting this, but we were so successful, we can't actually deliver. And so because we're so successful, we're going to scrap that really successful thing and do something completely different that we don't have a timeline for and can't give you an estimate on for a really long time. But trust us, it's going to be great. It does seem like a risk of, you know, losing some of the excitement and and hype they've got going right now. Yeah, 
it's got to be a pretty tricky position they're in if that's the route they're going, right? Like, it's not your first choice. But at the same time, I imagine, you know, limited resources, limited supply lines, so you, you do have to make some strategic decisions sometimes. I guess we just have to hope that whatever they come up with next is pretty great. Yeah, and it makes sense. You know, you take this this time to design and build and hope that when you're done with that process, the supply chain is recovered, I suppose. And, you know, I'm always down for a faster SOC, and I'm always interested if I could have maybe socketed RAM or a little bit more. We'll keep an eye on this, and Michael Arbel of Ferronics is keeping an eye on it as well. Security company Qualys has uncovered a dangerous memory corruption vulnerability in Polkit's PK Exec, CVE 2021-4034. If you're not familiar, Polkit, formerly known as PolicyKit, is a systemd set UID root program that's installed on a whole bunch of Linux distributions. And this has really been discovered as far back as November, and it's a really easy vulnerability to exploit. We don't talk about all vulnerabilities, but these ones we tend to cover because it's one of those where if any ordinary user has shell on a system, well, that could be a standard user or maybe a service that you're running as a user. If that unprivileged user has access to the local machine, they could utilize this exploit to get root privileges on a vulnerable computer. So it's kind of a big deal. And Qualysis wrote in their brief description of the problem, quote, this vulnerability is an attacker's dream come true. And here's kind of why they say that. And we're not trying to scare you. We're just trying to make sure you know why it's important this gets patched. Because PKExec is installed by default on just about every major distro out there. Qualysis themselves exploited it on Ubuntu, Debian, Fedora, and CentOS. And they said they really don't see why it wouldn't affect any other distribution that has PKExec. And it's been vulnerable since 2009. And that vulnerability allows any unprivileged local user to exploit that vulnerability to become root. So it's bad. Yeah, and although this vulnerability is technically a memory corruption issue, turns out it's still pretty much instantly exploitable, pretty reliably, in an architecture-independent way. So your architecture won't save you this time. It even works if the Polkit daemon itself isn't running. If you're curious, you want to give it a try on one of your systems or just learn more, a proof of concept has been released. And of course, if you haven't patched, well, there's a patch available in a distribution repository near you. Cute. The framework that powers the KDE desktop is announcing support for ads in client-side applications. This does not sound great at first, especially when NeoWin is running headlines like, Ads may be coming to KDE, the popular Linux desktop. That's probably not what's going to happen here. But the Qt Toolkit, which the Plasma desktop is built on top of, is adding upstream support for placing ads in Qt-based applications. And according to the documentation, they support a, quote, variety of platforms, including Windows 10, Ubuntu 20.04, Raspbian Buster, macOS, Android 7, and iOS. I don't know how they view broad platform support, but maybe more than one or two Linux distributions. I don't know, maybe KDE Neon, for example, would be good to support. But I, I really doubt we're going to see ads inserted into Kadian Live or, or your Dolphin File Manager or, or console. I just don't think that's where this is going to go. 
Well, watch out. It seems like they're not just targeting desktop and mobile. No, their press release explains that their new offering aims to, quote, disrupt the IoT industry. Linode.com slash LAN. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account. Yeah, you can really try things, and you go there to support the show. Linode is fast, reliable cloud hosting. Go try it for yourself. Go try it for your next project. It's how we've hosted everything for the last couple of years. And I've been hearing from some of you that you are concerned about Google booting out its legacy G Suite users. Well, maybe now is the time to move away from expensive proprietary cloud storage and switch to NextCloud and just use Linode's object storage with it. It's easy. It's simple. It's what we do. We've been running NextCloud up there for, I don't know, I guess it's been about two years. It's almost one of the very first things we migrated to Linode. And the the real revolution for us was switching the backend storage to object storage. In previous NextCloud implementations, we would just slice off a big chunk of disk and try to keep it under that size. And if we couldn't, because we were working on a project, then Chris was logging in and he was adding more disk and reconfiguring NextCloud in the middle of a project. <laughs> that was a thing. That was a real thing. And since we switched over to object storage, we never hit that anymore. And I just slice off every few months a bunch of storage to a local box that I have here. And it works so, so great. And one of the things I'm really impressed by is how smoothly Linode is rolling out these MVME storage upgrades. So, I mean, you're getting super fast PCIe storage now. Just went live in the London data center, I think, yesterday. So these are just getting rolled out faster and faster all the time. So if you're a performance hound or if you've got an application that needs a lot of storage throughput, Linode's team can help you sort through the possibilities for accessing the power of these new MVME disks. And they've got 11 data centers around the world. So you're going to find something that works for you or is close to your customers. They've been doing this for 18 years, and they just keep getting better and better. And they've got the best customer support. And with $100, you can really go try it out. Go pick your distribution of choice or your application stack of choice and just deploy it. And go build something and get started. Linode.com slash LAN. And a big thank you to Ting. Linux.ting.com. If you're sick of overpaying for cell service, go see how much you could save and then get 25 bucks off that at linux.ting.com. I've been a customer since 2013 of Ting, and they have been a sponsor since a little bit after that. And there's two reasons why I have been a customer and they have been sponsors. Number one, the value is obvious. And number two, I like this company. I like what they're doing, and I like how they are pushing the mobile duopolies around. You see, Ting is an MVNO, so they can offer a ton of value. They can really focus on the customer relationship and not focus on digging holes in the ground to stand up towers, you know, and you still get access to those big network towers, but you deal with Ting, and they have nationwide coverage with a great mix of plans with fast data, LTE, and 5G, and they were recently named the number one carrier by Consumer Reports in 2021. Their plans are simple and straightforward, and it's just a simpler way, a smarter way to do mobile. You know, and almost every plan, I think every plan, you'd have to double check, though. You're going to find one that'll work for you, though. Almost every plan should work for you, but I think they're going to have the perfect plan. And they have unlimited talk and text, and it's great for a family or great for a small business. We have used Ting in the years past when we all were attacking Linux Fest Northwest. I mean that in a good way. Like the whole crew just like descended upon Linux Fest Northwest. Ting and Telegram. That's how we did everything that year. It's great for stuff like that, too. So small business, family, or just yourself, and you want to save some money. And every plan gets access to Ting's award-winning customer service with nationwide LTE 
and 5G coverage, and no contracts ever. It's simple to switch to Ting, and pretty much any phone's going to work because of their wide network support. So go to linux.ting.com, check your current phone, create an account, and pick the plan that's right for you. Ting will send you a SIM card, you pop that in your phone, and you get active in just minutes. linux.ting.com On Wednesday, Valve officially announced that the Steam Deck will launch on February 25th. How's this actually going to work, though? Well, it's going to go by the date each user put in their reservation, of course. Starting off with those first lucky few who actually got in before Valve servers crashed. On February 25th, the first batch of order invitation emails will be sent out. And then each person who gets one has just 72 hours to make the actual deck purchase before that opportunity moves on to the next lucky person in line. The most important 72 hours of the year. Yeah, Liam over at LinuxOnGaming.com has a really good write-up on this, and I'm really glad he did because I, I guess I just forgot, but I was under the impression that I'd placed my order, I'd authorized the full amount. I didn't realize I was going to have to be checking my email on a specific day, watching for one of the many emails that I will land, no doubt, in my updates tab on Gmail. Now, as far as the details, yep. You're going to be looking for the email around the 25th, and then after the 28th, they plan to start out sending weekly invitations for more people to place their order. So that's actually that's actually pretty soon. Seems seems kind of like Valve's implying they expect things to move reasonably well. Now, behind the scenes, as we see all of that going on, Valve's also been working with developers to improve the AMD graphics situation on Linux even further. Of course, that benefits the deck. And there's been a lot of work to get more games Steam Deck verified, as well as some additional work has recently gone into the anti-cheat stuff. But I think the neat thing to see is some new features that the Deck is going to introduce. And one of them is Dynamic Cloud Sync. It's now live on Steam, and Valve's is just the first for any gaming platform currently in operation. I don't know about that. Xbox has some pretty good sync stuff, but... It does seem to have one particular use case they've covered that the other platforms don't. And that is, it does a dynamic sync when you put the deck to sleep. And then the idea is you can go over to your PC and resume that same game right where you left off. Now, before you get too excited, we should definitely note that this won't just auto-magically work on existing games. Developers will need to patch to support this functionality. Here's a little more detail on how it works. When you go put your deck to sleep, it's going to sneakily connect to the internet and proceed with the same upload of the save data that it would have done if you'd actually bothered to quit out of your game. Then if you hop on over back to your home PC, play a little more and decide, nah, I like the couch better, move back to your deck, well, the deck's going to get a notification that there's some new save files available. And that's the point that developers have to implement a flag that smartly reloads those new save files or quits out and restarts the process or whatever they need to do to make sure that new data gets loaded in. Oh, the rough life of those who will own both a Steam Deck and a gaming PC. I feel you. It's a a tough one out there. You better keep checking your inbox because you're not going to want to miss that email. Just like you better keep checking our RSS feed. Go to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes. And linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to get in touch. And if you haven't yet, be sure to check out extras.show. Lots of new content published over there, and you never know when something new is going to come out. But don't forget this here show. We'll be back next week with the latest Linux and open source news. 
Thanks for joining us. And that's all the news for this week. <laughs>